On today's show, we're going to talk about Deshaun Watson and speculate on his possible suspension. We're going to talk Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher, NIL. I've got a Heisman prop that I think you need to take advantage of before the numbers change. We're going to answer an email from 49ers general manager John Lynch. And finally, we're going to pump the brakes on Derek Carr and the Raiders. Let's talk some football. Deshaun Watson has been a popular topic of conversation the entire offseason. The trade to the Browns, 22 civil lawsuits being filed. And last night on HBO's Real Sports, Soldat O'Brien interviewed two of the accusers on national television. Now, this is a podcast about football. It's about sports. We're not going to speculate on uh, the legal ramifications, uh, what's going to happen in civil court. Uh, We're just going to acknowledge that it's there and that we're going to wait for it to play out. But as far as how it affects the football side of things, I think that's worth getting into. Now, the Browns, Deshaun Watson and his agent have every expectation that there is going to be some sort of a suspension based on how the contract was put together. Uh, The first year of the contract, uh, this year coming up, it's just over $1 million. Now, it's a $230 million contract over five years. So they were very clearly trying to circumvent any kind of fine, suspension, anything to make them a lot less punitive to Deshaun Watson. That is what it is. But it does show what they think might happen with Deshaun Watson and uh, discipline from the league. Now, as far as the length of the suspension, people speculate, and they go based on what we've seen before. So you've heard names like Ben Roethlisberger, Kareem Hunt, Ezekiel Elliott, all who were in violation of the league's personal conduct policy, and it had something to do with domestic violence and domestic abuse. Uh, Here's where it's a little bit different with Deshaun Watson. There are 22 open civil cases against him, ranging from sexual harassment all the way up until sexual assault. I don't think we can get into an appropriate speculation of what his suspension is going to look like without talking about Major League Baseball and Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher Trevor Bauer for at least a minute. Trevor Bauer had charges pressed against him. Charges were dismissed, and Major League Baseball still found it necessary to suspend him for two years. Two years when he was found guilty of no criminal act. Now, we're not going to make a judgment on that one way or the other, but it is relevant here because the NFL does not like to be second place to any league on anything. So when Major League Baseball decides to drop the hammer and come down with a two-year suspension on one of their best players, one of the best pitchers in the league, that means something. Roger Goodell, the owners, the players' union, they're trying to collect some information. They want to know what's happening with Deshaun Watson. He's got some more interviews to do with the league office. But the Browns and Deshaun Watson expect for there to be a suspension. I think based on the sheer number of plaintiffs, the sheer number of alleged uh, offenses from Deshaun Watson, and to be honest, the fact that Major League Baseball decided that Trevor Bauer was going to sit down for two years, the Deshaun Watson suspension, in my estimation, is going to be for the entire season. Now, I could be wrong, but Roger Goodell and the NFL, they don't like looking weak on things like this. They've always been proactive. They've always been very heavy-handed. Roger Goodell, there have been complaints as far as how heavy-handed he's been on a lot of issues that people uh, didn't think were anywhere nearly as bad as an alleged sexual offense. I mean, Tom Brady got games for lying and throwing away a cell phone. 
in my in my prediction, my estimation, I think Deshaun Watson is going to be facing a year long suspension from the NFL. Now it's time for flipping out. Do what you all think I'm going to do, which is just flip out. Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher have been going at it in the media back and forth for the last week. Uh, Nick Saban uh, was in Birmingham at an event for city leaders, uh, and he was just sitting up on the stage with a couple other gentlemen on a panel, and he was asked about NIL. And while he's, he was calm, he was speaking very matter-of-factly, you could tell it's something that has been bothering him for quite a bit. And he started referencing particular schools and individuals when he was talking about how NIL is out of control, out of hand, in his opinion. His comment that really got Jimbo Fisher worked up was that A&M bought every player on their team and then referenced that they were worth $30 million. He also went after uh, Deion Sanders a little bit, which I, I found quite funny. They're not going to play each other. They don't generally com- compete for the same recruits, and they are in those uh, Aflac commercials together. So I wonder how the next time they film one of those, that's going to go. But uh, he, he was specific and he was candid. And I got to be honest with you, as far as the rules and regulations or lack thereof in regards to NIL, I kind of agree with Nick. Now, if Nick Saban fired a shot, then Jimbo Fisher dropped a bomb. Uh, he started out his press conference in response to Jimbo Fisher's uh, allegations, if you will, uh, referring to him as a narcissist and uh, stating that he didn't want to be associated with him. This is a guy who, keep in mind, worked under Nick Saban as his offensive coordinator at LSU from 2000-2004, won the national championship together. They're friends. Nick Saban since this has said that he considers Jimbo Fisher a friend. When asked if Nick Saban had reached out to him, Jimbo Fisher commented, he called me, I'm not going to answer that phone. There's nothing left for us to say. He then went on to state how they hadn't broken any rules. He also used the word uh, despicable uh, more times than any person or thing I've ever heard, short of Daffy Duck. If the interview started out, the press conference started out with Jimbo being calm, it certainly did not stay that way for long as he got himself continually worked up uh, to the point where it's probably a good idea that they cut the, cut the press conference short. I agree with Nick Saban. There needs to be some rules and regulations uh, with the NIL. Uh, it seemed to me that he was insinuating not that he had a problem the players making the money, but more that he felt like maybe the players at A&M were getting paid by the school, which that's pretty much the only rule there is about NIL is that the school can't give them money. I'm sure that all this stuff was cleared and above board. With that being said, I don't think it's just about NIL. Uh, prior to Texas A&M and Alabama playing this past season, Nick Saban was 25-0 and against former assistants. They go to College Station, and Alabama loses to an unranked Texas A&M team. I don't think that necessarily sat too well with Nick Saban, but there's nobody better than Nick Saban to get their team ready to bounce back from a loss than Saban has been at Alabama. However, that was just the first loss to an assistant coach. Uh, The more important loss, I think, that's starting to bother Nick is that he lost the recruiting battle uh, this past season to Texas A&M. Now, The proof is in the pudding with Alabama. Since Nick Saban got there, he's built that program and built that school into the best in the country. He knows that he can outwork, outprepare, outcoach, and outrecruit everyone in the league. And that's why Alabama is in the college football playoff pretty much every year. Only now, Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher pulling the number one ranked recruiting class. A Texas A&M team that finished 8-4. 
So it's not like it was, you know, Georgia that snuck ahead of them for a season or Clemson, who's been just unbelievable under Dabo. He lost a recruiting battle to a former assistant and a former assistant of a team that wasn't even very good last year. So what's happening with Saban, I think, is that he is seeing the way college football is going with name, image, and likeness is I can outcoach, I can outwork, I can outrecruit anybody in the country, and it might still not be enough for me to get the best players because I can't outpay them. I don't know what the alumni base looks like. I don't know what their wallets and pocketbooks look like uh, for people that have graduated from Alabama or from people that support the University of Alabama. I'm sure there are some very wealthy people, but there is a whole lot of oil money in Texas and with the Texas A&M alumni. There's a reason that when Jimbo Fisher left Florida State, they were able to pay him at Texas A&M $75 million over 10 years. Name, image, and likeness ain't going anywhere, but the NCAA is going to have to do something, something to get this under control. The way the transfer portal works now is players are allowed to enter their name within the portal and then basically be recruited again. And they're allowed to transfer one time and not have to sit out a year. Uh, when that rule was first instituted, I liked it. I didn't like players having to be uh, tied to a school that they picked as a 17, 18, 19-year-old young man, especially when a lot of times they would sign at a school because of a coach. And as soon as a coach had the opportunity to leave for a better job, more money, greener pastures, they were gone and the, and the players were stuck there. So I appreciated what the NCAA was trying to do with the transfer portal. But now with NIL in the mix, it's basically become free agency with less rules. So unless something happens with the NCAA, we're going to see the demise of college football. In, in my estimation, the only way to fix this is to take out the no penalty for transferring. It has to be a year again, and I think that'll, uh, that'll take care of some of the problems we've been having. Now we're going to talk some Heisman odds. We're going to do a little bit more of this as this college season rolls near. But there's one player whose odds are so great that I think you need to take advantage of it now before they move. Now the Heisman, the Heisman has largely been a quarterback award. Ten of the last 12 winners were quarterbacks. And the two favorites right now are C.J. Stroud from Ohio State going off at 2.5 to 1. And Bryce Young... Last year's defending Heisman Trophy winner going off a three and a half to one. Now, for me, that's not good enough odds for me to tie my money up all year. If I'm going to put my money somewhere and I'm not going to be able to touch it again on a bet, I'm going to want better odds than that. I want a better payout than that. Lucky for you, we've got him. Caleb Williams, sophomore quarterback, USC, going off at nine to one. Now, if I'm going to put my money down, if I'm going to put $100, $1,000 down, I like that payoff at 900, 9,000, whatever it might be, a lot more than I do those other two players. Last year, as a true freshman, after taking over for Spencer Rattler, Caleb Williams completed almost 65% of his passes for 1,900 yards. He had a 21 to 4 touchdown to interception ratio and over 400 yards on the ground with six rushing TDs. And there was games he didn't even play. Okay? He transfers to USC, follows Lincoln Riley. There are athletes all over USC's program. I know it hasn't shown on the field in wins and losses, so I'm not going to argue that with you. But let's take a look at what USC has had. Last month, the number eight overall pick, wide receiver to the Atlanta Falcons, Drake London, Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. The year prior, fourth round, Amon Ross St. Brown, he had 90 receptions as a rookie 
with Jared Goff throwing him the ball. Let me repeat that. With Jared Goff throwing him the ball. They're athletes there. Add in the fact that they're getting transfers all over the place. Jordan Addison from Pittsburgh, last year's Belitnikoff Award winner. He's in town now on the heels of a reportedly $3.5 million NIL deal. And there are definitely going to be people for Caleb Williams to throw the ball to and hand the ball to. But this award is less about Caleb Williams, let's be honest. Lincoln Riley takes over in Southern California. And I'm going to remind you of the quarterbacks that Lincoln Riley coached at Oklahoma as the head coach prior to Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams taking over. That's Baker Mayfield, Heisman Trophy winner. Kyler Murray, Heisman Trophy winner. Jalen Hurts, Heisman Trophy winner up. And he did that with Hurts. That was one year. That was less than a year on campus after he transferred from Alabama. So, again, this bet is more about Lincoln Riley. I understand that the team has to be successful, but given how weak the Pac-12 is and the fact that Mario Cristobal is no longer at Oregon, I, I think USC challenges sooner rather than later for that conference championship. It would not surprise me if they make the college football playoff. And if those kind of things happen, the video game numbers that Caleb Williams is going to put up, he's going to be a Heisman Trophy finalist. And at 9-1, to one, he's somebody you need to get on board with before that number falls. Because as the season rolls nearer, as he becomes more popular, as there's more press, that number is going to fall closer to 5-1 to one to 6-1 to one in my estimation. So get on Caleb Williams while you can. He's going off at 9-1 to one on the Action Sports Network and on DraftKings. Don't say I didn't warn you. You've got mail. For our next segment, it's a new segment. It's called Dear Jeff. We're going to take this time to answer emails from coaches, general managers, players, when they're kind of stuck and they're not sure where to turn, what to do. So they're calling us over here, sending us emails to Generally Managed to see if we can't, you know, offer some advice. Dear Jeff, I need your help. I just can't find a team that's willing to give us a second rounder for Jimmy. And he counts almost $27 million against the cap. I don't want to just give him away. He's got a career 714 winning percentage. Do you or anybody over at Generally Managed have any ideas? By the way, congrats on the new podcast. I love the name. Sincerely, Jonathan Aloysius Lynch. Well, first off, John, I'd like to say thanks for listening. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button if you haven't there, Johnny. John Lynch must know that even though we're over here in Orlando on the East Coast, that we're plugged into what's happening on the left coast over there. So let's go ahead and peel this back and unpack this a little bit. So your question is about Jimmy Garoppolo. I think the question needs to be more about Trey Lance. Rumors out of San Francisco 49ers building is that coaches are consistently underwhelmed with Trey Lance. That is not a good thing. Not for a team that's ready to win now. We're going to talk about Trey Lance a little bit. I know there's pressure, I think, more on the coaching staff and the front office than on Trey Lance, considering what they gave up to move up and get him. Remember, they paid two ones and a three to move up nine spots to draft him two years ago. But Trey Lance not being ready to play, that doesn't surprise me. He started two games last year, played in some others. The year prior, the COVID season, the FCS, they canceled their football season in the fall. They pushed it back into the spring. So Trey Lance didn't get a last year of college football. They played one game so that scouts could take a look at Trey Lance one more time and see what he was about. Now a sophomore season, he started, he played well. North Dakota State won a national championship. All that's fantastic. The year before that, his freshman year, he hardly saw the field at all. So basically, 
Over the last four years, Trey Lance has played the equivalent of one season of football. And a majority of that was at the FCS level. So, John, Trey Lance might not be ready. He shouldn't be ready. He hasn't been able to play. He hasn't been able to do anything. So before we can make a determination on what needs to happen with Jimmy, I think a determination needs to be what's going to happen with Trey if we move forward with him. And I don't know if we can make that determination without bringing up Debo Samuel, who, by the way, has said he does, know, does not want to be in San Francisco anymore. John, you've been very public and very vocal about how much you love Debo as a person and as a player, and you should. Coming off an all-pro first-team season, he was absolutely electric. You've also stated, John, that you're willing to pay him pretty much whatever he wants. And also, in regards to that, you should. Here's the problem. Debo knows he can get paid, and he still doesn't want to sign the deal. So he knows he's got that money in the bank. If he's going to play out this year and then go to free agency, you're going to have to slap the tag on him. We're going to have a Devontae Adams, Green Bay Packers type situation. right? But I don't think this is about this second contract for Debo Samuel. Debo knows he's going to get paid on this contract. He's thinking about the one after that. He's thinking about the third contract. Debo Samuel just saw Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill get traded and sign their third contracts and break the bank. 25 to $30 million for these guys. And Debo Samuel's thinking, I know I'm going to get paid now. I want to make sure I get paid later. Debo Samuel spent an entire season in San Francisco watching Trey Lance in practice. To me... Debo Samuel not wanting to sign this contract with San Francisco has more to do with what he's seen out of Trey Lance and his ability or inability to throw the ball or to lead the team. How do you make Debo happy? How do you make sure Trey has a little bit more time to develop? You just keep Jimmy. You just stated in your email, John, that Jimmy Garoppolo has a 714 winning percentage. He's 31 of 14 as a starter. There is exactly one quarterback active starting quarterback in the NFL who has a better career winning percentage than Jimmy Garoppolo, and that's Tom Brady. Now, I'm not trying to make a comparison between the two. Tom Brady's the GOAT, and Jimmy Garoppolo is nowhere near that level of player. But there is something to be said for doing enough to win, and Jimmy does that. He's taking you to two NFC Championship games in the last three years, and the year you didn't go, it's because he was hurt. Now, I understand that availability is a skill. It's the best ability. But you got Jimmy for one more year. I understand he counts $27 million against the cap. If you cut him, it's only about one and a half. So it's not punitive to you to cut Jimmy Garoppolo. But if you wanted to cut him to save money, then I would have thought you would have done that prior to free agency so you could spend some of that $25.5 million on free agents. Well, the free agent market's dried up. That, that ship has sailed, okay? There's not a whole lot of difference makers out there right now. So you held on to him this long. He's not breaking the cap. He's not breaking the bank for you. He's unrestricted after this year, so you don't have to hold on to him after this year. John, if you go into next season with Jimmy Garoppolo as your quarterback and Trey Lance having a package of plays each game, I think Trey Lance develops, and I think the 49ers win 11 games to go to the playoffs. If you go into next season with Trey Lance as your starter, then I think you win seven games, you miss the playoffs, and at the end of the season you're sitting there thinking to yourself, hey, you know that Jimmy Garoppolo guy that we got rid of earlier in the season? It would have been nice if we held on to him. You guys up there in San Francisco are going to do what you're going to do. But my recommendation, and the recommendation of all the guys over here at General Manage is that you need to hold on to that guy because he wins football games. We're going to go ahead and thank our sponsor, 
for this week's episode. This week's installment of Generally Managed with Jeff Adams is brought to you by the Very Good Building and Development Company. Family-owned and operated and founded by Ronald Ulysses Swanson, the Very Good Building and Development Company makes very good stuff pertaining to building and development. Recognized as a master woodworker by the Indiana Fine Woodworking Association, Ron Swanson offers the talent and tenacity you deserve from a contractor. At the Very Good Building and Development Company, their motto says it all. We give 100% of our effort to every job because 110% is impossible and only idiots make that claim. By following the business model of Chuck E. Cheese's family entertainment chain, Very Good Building and Development always brings their projects in under the proposed budget. The Very Good Building and Development Company, headquarters Pawnee, Illinois. All right, now it's time to pump the brakes. Let's pump the brakes. Okay. A couple weeks ago, one of my favorite sports talk radio hosts, Colin Cowherd, made a comment on air about how if Derek Carr's next four seasons are like his last four seasons, that he will be in the Hall of Fame. Now, if you heard that, then you probably did what I did. Or if you're hearing it now for the first time, then you're probably doing what I did which was start yelling at the stereo in the car while everybody at the stoplight's looking at you, wondering what you're doing. Uh, I may have mixed some colorful four-letter words in there. Uh, Thankfully, Joy Taylor, his co-host, as well as his producer, got on and tried to talk a little sense into him, tried to talk him off the ledge. Colin wasn't having it. Well, I was willing to let it go. But then this past week, Uncle Colin doubled down on Derek Carr again, stating that he thinks that Derek Carr is destined for the Hall of Fame. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm a reasonable guy, but I've just experienced some very unreasonable things. I feel I'm a reasonable man, and I think Colin Cowherd is one of the best to do it. But I got a real problem with anybody who thinks that Derek Carr's career to date is the beginning of a Hall of Fame career. There's two things that have to happen, one of two things that have to happen for a quarterback to be inducted into the Hall of Fame you got to put up big individual statistics. I'm talking passing yards and touchdowns. Or you got to win a lot of games, and along with it, a Super Bowl or two. Derek Carr, for his career in eight seasons, has had two winning seasons. Over his last three years, he's 25 and 24, and he's thrown 30 touchdowns or more just once in his career. So let's go ahead and let's push off the crazy quarterback numbers for a little bit. We'll push off the, uh, you know, the winning seasons because – Can he turn it around? Sure. And if he wins a couple Super Bowls in the next five or six years, then he's deserving of the Hall of Fame. But we haven't seen anything yet. Now, I've also heard Rich Eisen talk about how he thinks that the Raiders are going to win the division. And I like Rich Eisen, too. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. When we get to our predictions here, closer to the beginning of the season, the Raiders are going to be, for me, towards the bottom of the division. And by towards the bottom, I mean at the very bottom, as in fourth place. While Derek Carr is a solid quarterback, he's the fourth-best quarterback in his division out of four. Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert. I think anybody who watches football would rather have any of those guys to win a game, to go into a season, or to finish a career. Now, I know there's some excitement. Josh McDaniels is hired as head coach. I do think there's something to be said for getting John Gruden in that circus out of the locker room. There's nothing positive was happening there. I'm going to hold judgment on Josh McDaniels here for a little bit. Um, I know he gets credit for Super Bowls in New England wins, and, and deservedly so, but I'm not going to hurt my shoulder trying to pat you on the back when you're calling plays in an offense with the best quarterback in the history of the league. But by the same token, 
I'm not going to penalize you too much for your years in Denver because you had Tim Tebow at quarterback. And while I'm a Gator, Tim Tebow just wasn't very good at throwing the football down the field. So it's nice to have an offensive-minded head coach, one who I think is going to bring quite a bit more uh, stability to the locker room than John Gruden. But we don't know what we have yet in Josh McDaniels. So I'm going to hold, I'm going to reserve judgment on that. Now, they have made some, some nice additions in the free agent market. They signed Chandler Jones. He's got over 100 career sacks. The list of guys who have done that is much, much smaller than you might think. Uh, they trade for Devontae Adams, and that's big. There's no if, ifs, ands, or buts about it. Devontae Adams is good. Okay, but I feel like the Raiders' problem hasn't necessarily been scoring points. I mean, they were in the middle third of the league in, in average points per game last year, so they definitely can get better there. But if you're bringing Devontae Adams into town, along with Hunter Renfro and then surprisingly older Darren Waller, and you think that that's going to equal uh, some kind of epiphany from Derek Carr, I'm not seeing it. We've seen eight years from Derek Carr. We know who Derek Carr is. He's told us. He's shown us. Just listen to him. And I'm a firm believer that a receiver doesn't make a quarterback, but a quarterback can make a receiver. And if you would like proof of that, I'll reference the aforementioned New England Patriots. If you go back and take a look at Tom Brady's receiving core, just take a look at his number one receiver from each of his Super Bowl seasons. Okay, In the six that, that, they, that he won in New England, he never had a superstar. Now, did he have some solid players? Absolutely. I love Julian Edelman. To me, Julian Edelman's in the Hall of Fame. Okay, He's the second all-time leading receiver in playoff catches and yards behind Jerry Rice. Without that amazing catch from Julian Edelman against the Falcons, the game doesn't go to overtime. They don't pull it out. Okay, You can't tell the story of the NFL and the story of the Patriots and the story specifically of that Super Bowl without Julian Edelman. To me, Julian Edelman's a Hall of Famer, but nobody's going to confuse him with, a, with an elite wide receiver one. Tom Brady never had one of those on any team that won the Super Bowl. Now, yes, he had Randy Moss, he had Wes Welker, but they didn't win a Super Bowl with those guys. So the point is, you don't have to have a great receiver to be a great quarterback. If you're a great quarterback, then you make your receivers good enough. You elevate them. So Derek Carr, to me, Derek Carr is what he is. He's a solid quarterback. I think he's in the same tier, maybe a little bit ahead of Kirk Cousins, Ryan Tannehill. Okay? I don't think he's going to win you a Super Bowl. I think he might be able to get you there. Okay, but we just we got to pump the brakes on Derek Carr and the Raiders. I know that they've had a good offseason and that people like everything they've done, but given the quarterbacks in that division and improving Justin Herbert coming into his third year, Russell Wilson being back on the field and being hungry after escaping Pete Carroll in Seattle, and Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, who are quite possibly the best coach-quarterback duo in the league, the Raiders are going to struggle next year, and Derek Carr is going to struggle next year. So let's pump the brakes on Derek Carr a little bit. Uh, we'll see how the season turns out. Hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully I don't get a letter from Derek Carr. Don't get an email. If I do, I'm sure we'll read it. I'll let you know. You've got mail. I'll own up to my mistakes. Uh, but let's pump the brakes on Derek Carr and the Raiders, shall we? All right, that's going to do it for us. Good second episode. Definitely the best one so far. Thanks to Devin, all the guys here in the studio. Uh, until next week, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share, and uh, help us get the word out. We'll see you next time.